Welcome to episode five of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest brings over 20 years of strategic leadership experience to companies focused on improving people's lives. When this podcast was recorded, he was the Chief Communications and Advocacy Officer at Glisten, the nation's leading education organization focused on ensuring safe and affirming schools for all students. He recently founded JMart Strategies, where he works with clients using his experience as a strategist, change agent, and turnaround specialist. Prior to Glisten, he was the Vice President of Strategic Communications at Sesame Workshop, was a Senior Consultant for Teach for America, and a Senior Program Officer for Policy and Advocacy at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. My guests also had the honor of working for Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, first as a Communications Director for the Executive Office of Health and Human Services, and then as the Governor's Press Secretary. We connected because he and I were both accepted into Lead Boston. He is an alum from the class of 2004. Lead Boston is an 11-month experiential executive education program that focuses on the inner workings of Boston and socially responsible leadership. Please join me in welcoming Juan Martinez. Juan, I appreciate you speaking with me from your office in New York. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's an honor for me to be uh, joining you this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So I just want to jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? That's a good question to kick things off. Uh, leadership, you know, I think people define leadership in different ways, I think probably to some degree because of their own experience with um, their own leadership abilities or their leadership experience or leaders that they've worked with or alongside or worked for in the past. Um, for me, leadership is really, you know, when I when I think about my own leadership, I, I, I very much enjoy working with teams and managing teams and helping lead organizations. And I think for me, leadership is about how you help an organization get better at its work, how you help people grow uh, themselves uh, as individuals, um, how they grow their skill set, um, giving them opportunities to really excel in ways that perhaps they didn't even think they could. Um, so for me, leadership is a very personal uh, sort of team management, organizational leadership type of um approach and i get a i get a big thrill out of working with teams you know I, i'm fortunate to manage two teams here at glisten the communications team and the public policy team down in, in washington dc and uh, it's just a, it's just such a pleasure to, to work with folks every day and to see them grow in their experience and to see them really blossom you know in ways i have folks who are at different you know, levels of their career in terms of experience. I have one individual who this is his first job out of college, another one has been out for two years, and then somebody else has been working for you know, 15 years. And we always have things that we can learn you know, throughout our, our careers. And so it's fun to be a part of that. So was there a time maybe earlier on that you started to realize, wow, I think I have some skills or aptitude for, for leadership? Was there some evidence early on? Well, I have to say that my my 
biggest uh, teacher, if you will, my, my, my biggest uh, idol in terms of leadership was my father. Um, my father was very active in the here in New York City growing up, you know, this is where I grew up, and he was very active, um, a very active leader in the Puerto Rican community, and I grew up really going to meetings with him, um, you know, at City Hall uh, to meet with the mayor's staff at the time, or, you know, he was president of the Puerto Rican Day Parade for multiple years, going to meetings around that, and so I really just grew up around that kind of environment, um, and I, I guess some of it just sort of um, seeped into my head over time in my childhood. And I think it was when I got to college um, where I was um, elected editor-in-chief of the campus paper at the end of my freshman year, um, where you know, you're know sort of thrust into this role that is a leadership role, uh, whether you're ready for it or not, there, there it was. And I think over time in that experience, I just learned, certainly learned the things, learned how to do things well, and learned a lot of things I did poorly. <laughs> and, you know, those are always, I think, even better lessons when you figure out the things that don't go well. Um, and I think that's really when I started to notice that I could be good at it. And more importantly, that I really enjoyed it. And it was something I wanted to continue to pursue. And I've had the good fortune of, of being in leadership positions professionally really from when I was about 25 or so is when I was um, first in senior management uh, when I worked in public broadcasting. And so I've always had these opportunities at, a, at a earlier stages in my career to really prove myself um, and my abilities and, um, you know, <laughs> haven't always done well, but, uh, but I've been fortunate to really be in these positions where I've been able to do some good things and, and have enjoyed it. Sounds like you also sought out more opportunities as you kind of move through your career you know, just even the fact that you put yourself out there to to be editor in chief, like not everyone will put them, their name forward for an opportunity like that, um, and then kind of grow into the position. And then again, as you moved into your actual career, and you're kind of had to think about sort of, would you be willing to step out into the unknown, um, but you gain skills along the way and confidence along the way, what's most rewarding about the work you're doing right now? Well, you know, it's funny, just to your, your point really quickly, and you know, I do a lot of work now um, I'm on the board of an organization called Find Spark, which works with a lot of young professionals um, and soon to be college grads, uh, really sort of developing their careers and how to, you know, how do you even, how do you network, how do you build your resume and all those um, components. And um, I always tell people that, you know, they, they ask me often, you know, how do you decide on jobs? And I think, you know, to your point, I, I like taking jobs that scare me at least a little bit uh, because that means that I'm going to be able to grow and to learn um, in those areas. If a job feels too easy or too comfortable on, on the surface, it probably means I'm going to get bored really quickly. I'm not going to learn very much. I'm not going to feel challenged. So I always seek out, seek out those opportunities, and I think that's that's important. Um, and, you know, and, and working here at, at Glisten. Um, you know, we uh, are focused on improving the school climate for youth across the country. We have a special emphasis on um, LGBT youth. And so we are always actively trying to figure out um, how do we best support students in their own leadership uh, in making their school climates better? And how do we support um, educators in making their schools better um, and, and having them take leadership roles as well? And I think that's, for me, really gratifying to see is is to see folks really take hold of a situation and change it for the better themselves and you know we have the good fortune of you know, creating resources and working with state and federal policymakers and working directly with students and educators and you know we have our um, 
we have our, our one of our two signature events coming up just next week in Los Angeles where we honor a lot of our students. And to hear them talk about their situations and to hear them talk about their leadership, uh, it's pretty inspiring. Um, it's it's hard to sit there and listen to that and not uh, figure out that you know you really want to do something with, with with these students. And so it's that's quite inspirational. It's so important, though. I imagine I imagine the day to day, though, it can feel um, it's very challenging and tiring, right? Because it's I mean, any kind of justice equity work um, on a day to day can maybe you don't have those inspiring moments. So it's so important to be able to hear those stories and hear the impact you're having and the leadership that you're helping build among these students and these educators. Uh, so hopefully you can take that and you know with you again for the next few months of work as you kind of go back to your office and have to sort of refocus on the on the day to day, which um, usually isn't nearly as glamorous as uh, <laughs> as uh, as what those those big events might be. Um, so I spent uh, ten years working at Glad, organizing fundraising events, gay and lesbian advocates and defenders, the legal rights group in in uh, New England, and um, it's it's so you're right. It's just so amazing when you have those big moments uh, and you get to really have a great program and highlight the fantastic staff and the clients and the, you know, participants and plaintiffs, et cetera, so that you can sort of see the real impact that you're having both as a staff member and also that the donors are having. Um, those big moments are so important. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's really, you're right. Um, you know, you have to, uh, you need those moments of inspiration to sort of fill the gaps of the day to day. And, you know, the, the one thing about leadership that I think, in being in a leadership role that I think is is can be challenging is that, you know, we oftentimes enter, and I'm sure you can relate to this, we enter into our professions or the work or an organization because we're really passionate about the mission if it's a nonprofit or um, or any other, any other service type organization. Um, but the, if you're in leadership and the further up you get in leadership, the more removed you are from the day-to-day -day impact of seeing that work happen on the ground. The same thing, you know, when I, in my time in state government, it was incredibly inspirational, but you know, the day-to-day -day was not about seeing the impact of the work we were doing. And so having those opportunities and really holding on to them, I think, can be really powerful. Yeah, it's really important. What's, uh, as you're thinking about the work you're doing today, but also the work you've sort of done in your career, can you think about a time that you felt really challenged about this work and how you, how you overcame that challenge? I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's, this kind of work is challenging really day to day in a lot of ways. I think it's really a struggle. I mean, if you're working in social justice or you're working in community um, type, uh, community building type work, if you're working in government, um, you know, it's really, it can be really challenging. And I think there are times where, you know, I'll give you an example from uh, my time working for Governor Patrick. You know, we entered uh, into office, uh, the governor being elected at the end of 2010. Um, and uh, it was, uh, or rather 2006, pardon me, it was really an exciting time. It was We had all these great ideas of things we wanted to do and, and sort of places um, uh, where we could take um, Massachusetts. And then the bottom fell out of the economy. Um, you know, within six months. And so all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're faced with this really hard reality of leadership that leadership really shines, I think, in the, those more challenging moments and sitting around going, okay, well, we had all these wonderful ideas of things we wanted to do, wanted to do 
Um, we need to step back and figure out a plan B because the resources aren't going to be there or there'll be different types of resources or uh, now the need is shifting and there's a greater need in some areas where we didn't think there would be. And you know, I think that was probably the most challenging part of my career. It's certainly by far the most gratifying part of my career for sure, but also really the most, probably the most challenging. Um, Interesting how those two go together though in hindsight maybe in the moment it's it's you're thinking of the challenges but when you reflect back on all that you've accomplished in your professional career those moments that you persevered and you can see the change that you've helped create um, those become sort of the highlights absolutely and i think when you have those challenges they mean even more the successes mean even more so looking back you know, I think it would have been wonderful, a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful experience. I would have been very proud of the work we had done as an administration uh, if if the economy had been in a better place. But I think in the context of what we were dealing with, with, you know, millions of dollars, you know, billions of dollars in budget cuts, that made it even that much more gratifying to see the things we were able to accomplish. Um, and so I, I think you're right. I think, you know, those challenges and being able to overcome them and and to, uh, you know, and there were plenty of things that we were hoping to that we couldn't do um, for budget reasons, but to still know that you've made impactful, you've had impact, an impact on your communities, you've done impactful things, even within the, the midst of that kind of a crisis is still very, um, it, it is very gratifying for sure. I think that uh, in this this uh, group that you were working with of young young people who are entering into the workforce, it might be a good lesson for them to to hear, even though they can't internalize it until they have the experience, but to hear that the hardest moments of their career might also turn out to be the most gratifying. To go in with that mindset as opposed to where we are now, sort of looking back um, and seeing that, but for all of us to hold on to that as we kind of, you know, move ahead and uh, up, up that ladder sometimes and sometimes down that ladder of corporate and nonprofit and back and forth. So, I actually just want to switch gears a little bit because I, I know that sometimes when you're striving for success and and trying to to build something great, there's always this fear of being wrong or making mistakes or even failing. So, could you share with us something that you're not very good at and and how you deal with that? Oh well, Robbie, there's a long list of things I'm not very good at. <laughs> That's an easy question to tackle. Um, you know, I think. For me, when I look to build a team, this is where I think those uh, under being self aware and understanding where your strengths and weaknesses are really, um, really help. Um, so you know, I one of the things I had to do here at, at Glisten is was really rebuild the the communications team. So I have um, six people on my communications team, none of whom were here when I started. Um, they're all new. They're all people I hired. Um, and so for me, that's that's a moment where, and, and if you look at my career, I've often been in roles where I've had to build a team. You know, I had to do that with the, in, the, in the Patrick administration. I had to do that in other places. And I've always, that's always been a really good moment for me to, to really check myself and to, to really sort of do the inventory of, you know, these are the things where, you know, these are the skills that I have. These are the areas where I'm good. And here's this long list of things that I'm not good at. And so when I build a team, I think that's when that really comes to the surface. And I, I try to fill in those gaps, right? You know, I don't want to hire people who are good at the same things I'm good at because then you just have the 
same collection of people on your team and you all share a, a strong s- skill set, which is great, but that also means you're all deficient in the same areas and that's not helpful for the organization. So, um, you know, I had to hire a, a digital engagement manager for our team who's really driving our social media work and our digital engagement work as a whole. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I use social media. I'm aware of digital engagement. I understand the concepts of it. I'm not an expert by far. I'm not an expert. Um, so I needed to bolster my own understanding and give myself an opportunity to learn from this person um, by bringing in an, in an expert in that field and adding that to the team. Same thing with our, our marketing communications manager. You know, I have a background in having done some marketing and advertising and branding. That's not my area of expertise. So how do I bring in someone who helps this team because they're a piece of that puzzle that's missing? And also that allows me to learn from them. I mean, there's a ton that I've already learned in the short time they've both been here about their areas of expertise that I didn't know before I brought them on. And so for me, that's really, it's really important to just understand where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and how to fill those gaps in your skill set and in your understanding. So this all sounds wonderful. And I'm, I'm imagining, though, that when you first got started, you weren't thinking this way. So was there a moment of realization that building a team in this way, you know, not just people who are like you, but people who are very different from you would actually be a stronger team? Or did you really somehow, you know, at 20, 25 years old, really kind of have that self-awareness? Well, I think that um, a big part of it, and I, you know, I think maybe, you know, when I was 25, I had some sense of uh, what I wasn't good at. I didn't probably know or was willing to admit <laughs> the full list of things I wasn't good at because you're 25 and that's what you do at 25. Um, but uh, but I think that's where um, being self-reflective is really helpful. And I think people, it's important for people to sort of constantly do this inventory of their themselves. And I think it's helpful just for your own career growth as well, you know, to find out where you need to learn and and where you need to be challenged and what have you. And so certainly not early on, you know, when I was editor of my college paper, which I ended up doing for three years, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of stuff I didn't know, right? I had no idea just how little I knew about certain areas. And so you try doing things and you fall on your face and you fail and you realize, "Mm, I need someone to help me with this. I can't figure this out on my own. And I think that happens, you know, through your career. I think there are moments in time, even now, you know, in in this far into my career where I think, oh, I could probably figure that out. And then I realize in the middle of it or in the beginning of it, no, I need someone with an actual stronger skill set than I have in this area to help us figure this out. And it could be someone that we hire. Mm -hmm. You remind me, you actually remind me, Juan, of... um a mantra I try to keep when I'm when I'm faced with those moments, uh, and I've had many of them as I'm building my business. Uh, time or money, everything comes down to time or money. So, you know, building a website, I I probably could figure it out, and I would really enjoy figuring it out. But there was a moment where I was like, but it would take me, you know, weeks and months, and I wouldn't get to it as quickly, and it wouldn't look as good. And this is a moment where I should really hire somebody. Um, and th- it's really, it's a important reflection point because otherwise you may not move things forward and those team building is, that's definitely leadership, absolutely leadership right there. I, um, was one wondering about, um, well, I, you seem to have just dedicated your career to doing a lot of service work 
a lot of community work and I imagine that does take a toll. It has takes a lot of time, takes a lot of dedication. It has an impact obviously on how, you know, your life is in the job, but it also probably has an impact on your life outside of work. What is, you know, with that in mind, what is self-care or downtime look like for you? It's hmm. an excellent question. Yeah, you know, for me, the work I do, I do because I'm personally passionate about those issues. So there is definitely that combination of both professional and personal exhaustion that comes in because these are things I'm personally passionate about and I do them all day long at work. And so it's hard to separate those two at times. You know, for me, my um, self-care comes in a couple of different ways. Um, running. I'm a, I'm a big runner. I'm actually running the New York City Marathon in a couple of weeks, my first marathon. Um, but I've, I've, I wish you well. Thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, but I've done, you know, I've done a bunch of half marathons and I've been running for quite a while um, on and off and then more, more dedicated, more seriously over the last, probably my last few years when I was still living in Boston and then to DC and to New York. But for me, that's a really great uh, bit of self-care. Um, for me, running is very therapeutic. I um, I know a lot of people who run who think through issues and sort of process them and sort of come to solutions. And for me, it's the opposite. Um, I just shut everything off um, or try to as best I can. And um, and I really just I put my my mind into my running. I really don't think about anything else other than that uh, when I'm doing it. And so for me, that that becomes a great bit of self care because it's my it's my time um, to be by myself to to just not think. Um, and uh, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it sounds like a, a bit of like a moving meditation for you. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to use the word meditation, but people often think it sounds weird for me to say meditation when you're out running people think of meditation oftentimes as you know being in a quiet space you know and and uh and you're you're still and uh, but for me it really it really is that's exactly right it really is sort of a moving meditation it's a, a chance for me just to unplug and, and remove myself and that's that's super helpful for me and something i definitely definitely need to do um and you know and i i have started my my uh my career as a writer um journalist you know so for me Writing is still a bit of self-care. I don't do it as much as I would like to do and as much as I used to, um, but I still enjoy that sort of form of expression quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, just other bits of entertainment. Um, you know, I'm a big sports fan, um, so I like going to sporting events, watching sports. I'm a big movie buff, so going to movies, things like that. But ways that I can just unplug and not think about work um, and life for at least a little bit. Uh, those are usually the ways I try to... It sounds like you've got some some good plans in place, and uh, I'm glad to hear that because the work you've been doing is sounds really wonderful, and I wouldn't want you to be on that brink of, of burnout, which I think many of our colleagues are, are unfortunately uh, too close to that edge. As you think back, though, it sounds like you've, you've made some amazing connections. You've changed uh, roles in different companies throughout the years, but are you still in touch with a lot of these folks you've met in these professional capacities? I am, you know, I wouldn't say a, a lot, I, I, but I definitely would say that I'm in touch with quite a few folks from throughout my career. You know, I think back to people that I worked with in my first job in public broadcasting, and I'm, I'm still friends with with quite a few of those. Um, I see them once in a while, not as often as I would love to, obviously, but I, but we're still in touch. Um, 
social media helps quite a bit to stay in touch with the folks who are you're separated from physically. Um, so that's been wonderful, sort of rediscovering those friendships. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that there's there are probably at least anywhere between two and five and, and many more in more recent jobs, but certainly in the older jobs I've had, two to five people that I'm still in touch with on a fairly regular basis from those roles. A lot of, the, of those folks are people who worked on the teams that I managed. So I guess that's a good sign of being a, <laughs> I wasn't a terrible manager. They still talk to me, so that's good. Do you find yourself doing anything purposeful to nurture those relationships? Are you in some high-tech or low-tech way tracking how you're reaching out to people or even you know keeping track of birthdays or coffee? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are the bulk of those folks are not, uh, you know, they're not here in New York. Um, so coffees are a little harder, uh, but the, for the folks who are here in New York, I try to do that. The real um, connection piece for me really is um, digitally, you know, just on social media, whether it's Facebook or it's mostly Facebook or just Messenger, you know, texting, sending messages, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I have um, birthdays of people who are important to me on my calendar, so I make sure not to forget when their birthdays are. And, um, and so, yeah, that it, for me, it's really, it tends to be, you know, digital connections. And then I travel quite a bit for work. And so if I'm fortunate enough to be in one of the cities where um, some of these friends and former colleagues are, then I try to make a point of seeing them. Um, I do go to, to Washington, D.C. every month, and I had uh, worked and lived there for about three years before moving back home to New York. And so I try whenever I can to set up a happy hour when I go to D.C. so I can see as many of them as possible at one time. Um, and uh, certainly try to do the same thing when I when I go back to Boston, where I spent 10 years working and living there. So I try. You know, I wish I could be better, honestly, but... Um, uh, I, I try to keep in touch. That idea of, you know, when you know you're traveling for work or you're heading to a conference or something, of just putting out a date and time and place for for a happy hour meetup somewhere downtown, that's such a great idea because then, you know, colleagues can drop by. Um, and even if the timing doesn't work out, you you still initiated that connection and which might lead to a phone call or text messaging back and forth or some sort of update about their life. And you're not just like, you know, when you're traveling, that in itself can be kind of exhausting. And so to get that moment of uh, invigoration by reconnecting with old friends and old colleagues, um, that's a that's a takeaway. And, and, you know, being intentional about setting that up ahead of time, it sounds like you've done that a little bit. And to keep, you know, to keep doing that, <laughs> that would be, that's a fantastic way to nurture those relationships. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And one of the things I really enjoy um, that happens sometimes is that, I will, uh, so I'll give the DC example. So, the, you know, I worked um, in a couple of places while I was in DC, but I also have friends who I went to high school with who live in DC and work in other places. And so these happy hours have this really weird, bizarre, wonderful cross section of my life. People who I've known since I was, you know, 12, and people who I've only known for a few years and everything in between. And so, and they get to meet each other, which I, I think I get a big kick out of sort of that connecting folks from different parts of my life who I, who, you know, who I care about together and then they end up hanging out together and, you know, they get to know each other and they do work together. And so it's a lot of fun to see that connection piece happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, the idea of convening the power of convening people. Our uh, lead Boston uh, group is, um, is actually meeting now on a monthly basis for lunch. We've been doing it for most of this year. Our lead Boston year just concluded, but we have those lunches in our calendar still. So, it's just a way to know that there's this day that we can, you know, run into each other 
even if our paths don't cross the rest of the time. That's that's a really I'm gonna I'm gonna keep in mind this idea of happy hours for myself when I'm traveling. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you now, just if you're thinking back to the beginning of your career and and you know as you're graduated from college and you're just getting started, you know, in your mid twenties, is there a piece of advice, something in particular that one thing you'd encourage yourself to do to build a, a strong, supportive professional network? That's a great question. Um, looking back, I would say, you know, I've changed quite a bit as a person, uh, I think, as we, uh, many of us do um, over those years. And, you know, when I was 25, that was 17 years ago, I think, at this point. Um, so I've changed quite a bit over that time. But I think looking back, I would definitely would have, um, I would say my a bit of my advice would be to um, be more proactive. You know, I think I was still trying to figure out who I was as an individual and where my career was going. And I think in some cases, not um, as proactive as I could have been in building my network. Probably a you know, much shyer person. Well, not probably, certainly a much shyer person then than I am now. Um, and so I think I would have probably helped, you know, my advice would be to help get myself out there more um, and to not, you know, that can be, and that's a very scary thing for a lot of people. I think some people are just naturally um, comfortable putting themselves out there. And I've always admired that, but I know lots of people aren't, myself included, even now in some cases, depending on how I'm feeling that day. But certainly when I was 25, um, but it's, there's so much value in that. You know, I think building networks, uh, for me, building my professional and personal networks have been really valuable for me. Um, and I would hope that they've been valuable for the other folks in those relationships as well. I, and I, I love um, helping folks navigate their career and I'm always willing to sit down with anybody at any stage and make connections and offer advice. But I also know that for me professionally, there was a period of time there where I had three consecutive jobs that I was in that I had never applied for. They all came through my networks. You know, it wasn't like I was seeking something out. I was always recruited because someone in my network had worked with me and they recommended me to somebody else. And I think that that's a really powerful thing as well that that happens to you as you go through your career. If you build those networks well, if you build them in a way that's reciprocal, so it's not just you asking and you getting, but it's you giving as well into those relationships and you do them for the right reasons, I think they have immense value to to really benefit you professionally and personally in ways that you probably couldn't even imagine at the time. You know, I, I think that uh, if when I was 25, um, there's zero chance that I would have thought I would have had the career I've had to this point. Not because I didn't think I could have a good career, but just because I, my career has taken so many wonderful twists and turns that I never would have imagined back then. Um, and those have all happened in large part because of the networks I've built. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love the testament to the power of those relationships. You know, we had the opportunity at different times to go through this amazing Lead Boston program. For you, it was a number of years ago. So is there anything from, from that experience that stands out? And are you are you in touch with any of the folks from your class? Definitely still in touch with a handful of folks from from the class. It was I did lead Boston in two thousand four, um, so eleven years ago. Um, it was oh three oh four because I carried you know through the two calendar years, um, half and uh, six months in each. But it was um, you know f- for me the main motivator for doing it was actually to quite literally build my network. Um, you know I was at that point. 
little over three years or around three years into my time living in Boston. Um, so I was still trying to build a network. Um, you know, I had um, been running my own consulting practice, my own media company for a while, and I wanted to build a broader network. I wanted to get more involved in Boston itself, um, in the communities of Boston, which um, mean a lot to me still. Um, and so that was really the express purpose was to try to meet other people in other sectors and, and to really learn from them and share their experiences and share my own experiences with the, with the group. Um, and it was really, it really paid off in those ways. I mean, it was immensely valuable and it was really wonderful, a wonderful experience. And, uh, and I'm really glad I did it. I'm glad I was selected for it. And, uh, I know of other folks, other friends of mine who went through lead Boston after I had gone through it, who also had the same experience as well. And it's great to hear that it's still going strong and it's still doing good things and really inspiring people. That's, that's a wonderful program. And, um, and there are so many, so many intricate, issues in our communities and many of them are really um they intersect in so many ways they're bringing people together from these different sectors it's such a valuable thing to have happen yeah i mean the the emphasis on um, socially responsible leadership uh and the the opportunity to actually experience uh go out into the community and experience some of these issues and meet people who are being impacted directly that uh, was very powerful and um and i'm appreciative that i now like you, I, I did really go into it with the idea of wanting to broaden my own connections across sectors and to engage with people who maybe were very different from me. And I'm definitely found that to be incredibly valuable. And now I have the extra bonus of getting to reach back into history and, you know, try to connect with some of the alum like yourself who preceded me by over a decade uh, through this program. Um, and yet I'm finding there's a lot of ways we, we have our work and our interests in common. So those networks will continue to grow, um, I'm quite sure of. So if we were meeting a year from now and you were telling me what an amazing year it has been, what accomplishments would we be celebrating? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, I think from a work standpoint, I would say, um, you know, if, if we've had a good year work-wise here at Glisten, um, then we have seen states passing um, LGBT-inclusive anti-bullying protections for in, in schools. We've seen states pass um, protections for educators. You know, um, it is a, a wonderful and great victory that marriage equality is now in place. And I had the amazing honor of working on part of that in Massachusetts during my time there with the governor and before. Um, but, you know, there are many, many states in this country where an educator can get married on Sunday and fired on Monday um, because there are no employment protections in place. And something that I'm sure you know well, Robbie, from your work. Um, and so, so that's that would be a victory to celebrate um, if we do our jobs well at Glisten and we have a successful year. Um, we will be seeing more and more students create gay-straight alliances in their schools. Um, and we will see more students take leadership roles themselves and um, have more individuals and more district school districts and more state policymakers really leading the way in creating these really safe and affirming and and supportive school environments for all our students, not just LGBT youth, but all of our students. And I think that would be a wonderful, a wonderful achievement um, a year from now that we, we could celebrate uh, if we're if we're you know, when we're getting together and talking about it. 
That sounds excellent. And hopefully we'll be getting together at one of these happy hours that you're going to host when you're up in Boston. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please uh, add me to your invite list. You are on there right so now. So I will, um, in the show notes, I will include uh, your LinkedIn profile. So if folks want to follow up with you and, and connect through there, they can find you. Uh, is there anything else related to your job you'd like me to provide links to? I think just a link to our website would be wonderful, glisten.org, um, so folks can see the kind of work we're doing. We also have a tremendous resource library for uh, educators, for allies, for students, um, things that folks can download. You know, we have three big days of action, um, really weeks of action. We have Ally Week, which uh, concluded uh, at the end of September. We have No Name Calling Week, um, which uh, is really driven uh, by educators. It happens in January, and then we have our are probably the event we're most known for, which is um, Glisten's Day of Silence, which has been happening for quite a while, where people take an oath of silence for, or vow of silence rather, for a day, to um, to really highlight the kind of um, bullying and harassment that happens in our schools. And people can all, um, you know, from all walks of life, can engage in those days as allies and as as supporters um, of this work that's happening. So that would be wonderful. I'd be happy to do that. Well, thank you again so much, Juan, for for joining me on this podcast and sharing a little bit of your insights about leadership. It was my pleasure, Robbie. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Juan Martinez. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. We dove into a pretty big takeaway in the interview. The idea of hosting a happy hour gathering when you're traveling for work, so you can see many of your former colleagues all at once. This is an excellent idea if you've moved around a bit in your career, or if you're part of an organization that has a national alumni network. I'm in several national alumni networks, and when traveling, I try to plan ahead to at least have coffee with local chapter leadership, or catch up with a fellow alum over breakfast before a day of meetings. The real takeaway is that you need to be intentional and plan ahead to make the most of these opportunities. Are you planning a trip in the near future? Can you carve out any downtime to meet up with old friends and colleagues over coffee, a meal, or drinks? Do you have enough connections in that town that you could consider organizing a happy hour? As Juan mentioned, it's a really great way to see lots of folks all at once, and there's the added bonus that your worlds can collide and get to know each other. Suddenly, friends from grad school and your first job out of grad school are hitting it off and giving you even more reasons to visit often. One way to keep track of who lives where and whether you've connected with them recently is to use Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing your professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. I also wanted to underscore a particular moment in our conversation when Juan was talking about the challenges he faced when he was working for Governor Deval Patrick, who was sworn in right before the bottom fell out of the economy in 2008. This greatly derailed all the projects and plans he and his staff have been dreaming of for Massachusetts. Remember how Juan ended his story? He said, I think that was probably the most challenging part of my career. It's certainly by far the most gratifying part of my career for sure, but also the most challenging. 
If you're facing a really challenging situation at some point in your career, keep in mind that in hindsight, it may be the most gratifying. I hope that helps you keep going through those tough times. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of an episode. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze. This podcast is still in the first eight weeks when we can try to get into new and noteworthy, so I am especially grateful to all of you who have already subscribed and left a rating review on iTunes. You can easily find the show on iTunes by visiting itunes.ontheschmooze.com. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Don't forget to include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be talking about the downside to being a unicorn. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.